Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. One of my all-time favorite quotes is, marriage is our last best chance to grow up. And unfortunately, too many people believe that if you would just marry the right person, you will never experience a moment of discomfort or disappointment from that person ever again for the rest of your life. Maybe outside events will cause difficulty, but not the person who promised to love, honor, and cherish you. And if your partner hurts you, even unintentionally, then they aren't really your soulmate. But this quote, really is a great description of marriage. It is the working through challenges with your partner that allows us to grow both individually and as a couple. And the big problem for many marriages is that no one teaches us how to handle our differences in any resulting conflict that occurs in a really healthy way. Hence, one of the purposes of this show. So, If you've been listening, you know it's an ongoing discussion about how to resolve differences and create deeper connection with your partner, and today's actually not any different. My guest is psychotherapist and the author of Women with Controlling Partners, Taking Back Your Life from a Manipulative or Abusive Partner, Carol Lambert, is here to add another perspective to this, because I keep hoping that, you know, if I talk to enough people, something's going to get through. So, Carol, thanks so much for being on the show and talking about, again, a very common but really, really important topic. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Great. So, as you know, I get a lot of my guests from the psychologytoday.com website, and you wrote a recent piece for them called Relationships, Just Hoping for Change Might Keep You Stuck. Um, and in it, you start with an example of someone holding out hope for a relationship based on a focus on when the times are really good. So this actually sounds like a good thing. So what makes it problematic? Well, successful relationships are far more than a collection of harmonious times. And it has a lot to do with what happens in between those periods. So if we think about a healthy relationship, we can maybe think about three things. One is the harmony, those periods, which are wonderful. Then you have Mm -hmm. a rupture, which is a problem or a conflict arises. And then Uh there's repair of the rupture. That's what the couple does to address or resolve the problem. Actually, this sort of surprised me, but psychologist Bonnie Badenoch in her research identifies that a good relationship, we might only get along 30% of the time. So there's a lot of permission for us not to get it right all the time. (laughs) 30% doesn't sound like a lot. but, But actually, I think that if that's actually a true statement, and I have no reason to doubt her research, that actually should make everybody feel a little bit better, shouldn't it? I absolutely agree with you. <laughs> yes, but there's pressure off, so to speak. Yeah. So one one common relationship pattern that I do see, though, where the harmony becomes a problem is that when it gets disrupted by the conflict, let's say it's set off by one partner having hurt feelings. And then there's some tension and maybe some arguing and some maybe escalation of the tension 
without any resolution. But mm-hmm. then the tension completely disappears as if it never happened. And this is when one partner changes the mood and moves maybe back towards caring and kind behavior that draws okay. the couple back together. Now they're back in that familiar emotional connection. If you think about it, when one partner can end that period of distance and unrest, it must feel so relieving to both in the end. So these are the times when, right? So when these times come about, plans get made, needs are met, and life can sort of feel better once again. But the problem, this is the problem, in order to move on, they need to deny or minimize what took place. So the hurt feelings are left ignored by one partner and the need to suppress feelings by the hurt partner. So the rupture, if we use that word for conflict, Uh never gets addressed. And in time, this can become an ongoing problem to the stability of the relationship. Well, and I, I and and I I see that, and I'm as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about clients that I've worked with where, okay, you know, they, it, it's the whole not rocking the boat. Okay, things are back on track. Now I don't want to bring up my hurt feelings, or I don't want to go back and address that because now it's it's going to set the waves in motion, and we're going to start rocking all over the place. But you're right; it does kind of do what I call going underground and kind of eating away at the foundation of the relationship because it isn't being addressed. That's right. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. I see many, many um, examples of that with people I work with. I mean, and, and this is, I mean, and there are a lot of people out there, and I actually think it's most of us because I, I haven't met very many people who really enjoy conflict or dissension. There are a few people out there, I think, that do, but not most of them, and especially not with the person that we're trying to live with 24 hours a day. So there's, we have this whole thing about conflict avoidance, which I tell people you can't avoid it. You can simply postpone it. And the longer you postpone it, the worse it's going to become to deal with. But nobody likes dealing with that stuff. Nobody likes being uncomfortable. It's kind of like, oh, good, that's all, that's all taken care of. Let's just paper over it and move on. But that's right. where you're saying the problem is. Exactly. That's where we need to pause, for sure. Hmm. So you also talk in the article about several examples of problematic relationship behavior, and I think we're kind of skirting around some of those, so I want to just go ahead and dive headfirst right into them. So what are some of the examples you talk about and what makes them problematic? Okay, actually, given problematic behaviors, one behavior is actively avoiding any kind of conflict. That mm-hmm. in and of itself is, is a problem. Right. Um, and I think often this can even start during the dating period where, you know, each person is putting their best foot forward. Um, and it feeds the belief sometimes that this partner feels very compatible. We get along so well. But mm-hmm. it's inevitable that conflict will arise and perhaps during the commitment period or marriage or some couples then become ill-prepared together to deal with handling their differences. And I when think I, that, would, I, that would be a great majority of couples aren't, aren't very well equipped for this. Aren't very well equipped, yes. <laughs> so then the problematic behaviors that I've noticed um, when I've reviewed this with over, I think, a 1,000 women in, in my sample is 
first of all, there's a refusal by one partner to take responsibility for his or her behavior that can mm-hmm. cause that cause the conflict. Okay, and what do mm-hmm. they do instead? They blame their partner, and what they might do is start attacking their character or maybe other deficiencies to make their case. So they uh-huh. they are not willing to step up and hold themselves accountable. Another possible um, also behavioral problem is when they do take ownership of their problem, but they ultimately hold their partner responsible for causing them to react that way. In right. fact, you made, blaming you made their partner, me mad, so I did this. That's right. So you're blaming mm-hmm. their partner for their own behavior. Mm-hmm. And then another is emotionally withdrawing giving the silent treatment in the attempt to punish the other, this actually can be very, very painful for the targeted person. Not the one withdrawing, but the one being withdrawn from. And then the other one that I mentioned is the belief that one partner is right and entitled to have the final word, expecting their partner to agree with them and drop the issue. So you can see how all these reactions would only further the relationship rupture. Not resolve it for sure. And and they're pretty common. I mean, one of the things that that I focus on with a lot of my couples, and, and just taking that last one about the needing to be right, and which uh-huh. of course, I mean, and, and in some cases, both people are right, but it but that's a hard concept to grasp that that my that my partner's experience and opinion is equally valid, even though different from my experience and my opinion, and how do we deal with that? And I think that, and I think that that's, and again, I go back to the soulmate myth that if I'm, if I'm with the right person, none of this is ever going to happen, which is why I was saying that I'm not sure couples are actually prepared for this because nobody has to take a relationship 101 class before they graduate from high school, although I think they should. Um, because if they don't know what you know, they don't know what to do with this. And then, of course, we all know about the in love phase where we have you know neurochemicals that actually distort what we're experiencing, and we don't see the quote unquote flaws in our partners or the places they disagree. It's only when we come out of that. <laughs> I don't know what you mm-hmm. want to call it, that euphoric, it, you know, non Or the infatuation, yes. Yeah, you know, the, uh-huh. the, the point where we actually start seeing this person as a human being as opposed to this paragon, which none of us are. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody's prepared for that, and then, and then they don't know what to do, and then they go into these unproductive behaviors that we're talking about. Um, so, <laughs> you know, so... Uh, the one that is really you're you're talking about it being very harmful, and it is is the with is the withdrawer, the one who basically just just pulls back. What makes that more yes. damaging than maybe some of the other inappropriate behaviors? Well, now there's no engagement, right? The other person mm-hmm. has removed him or herself completely, so there's even less opportunity to try to re-engage. And often, I think the person who is left um, is the one who can feel very alone, can feel more disconnected emotionally, um, Mm -hmm. because the other partner really has all the power right now. 
and the control of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and I that, think in it, that powerlessness is very, very uncomfortable, disturbing, and one can get emotionally very stuck there. Yeah, I mean, and, and it is, and it's very hard, and then that person probably is going to try to, to push and engage in other ways. But I, I really am interested, because you mentioned this, about this power dynamic, this, this power differential, and who has the power and how that impacts negatively a, a, a relationship. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, I work a lot um, with individuals who have a partner that very maybe slowly and insidiously has gained control or power in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting because I collect courtships, I think, now from over a 1,000 women, and they can identify, the majority identifies that they never saw any of this kind of controlling or coercive behavior while they were dating. But it was Uh after the commitment or getting married that it started Uh to show up. And they um, felt more disempowered by that um, experience with their partner. And they found it harder and harder to be more themselves and to feel present and able to speak up. Um, Because the person who has the dominance in order to keep that has to continue to badly maybe undermine or discount their partners in certain ways to sort of maintain that that position. Right. Right. And this goes to, I think, and, and I can't remember which one of the other examples that you gave, but I oh it was it was about the minimizing. And this is you know, this is something that I think if more couples understood how common this was, um, they might be able to handle it a little bit better than they do. And, and it goes back to, we have different experiences. Something that would bother you might not bother me or vice versa. So when we use ourselves as what I call the template as, well, this is, this is how I experience the world and everybody experiences the world the same way, which of course we know is not true, then this, whatever this is, shouldn't bother you, you know. Mm. <laughs> and, and that's that right. minimizing as opposed to, oh, what is it about this, my partner's life or life experience that this particular thing does bother them? And it could be something just as small, because my husband and I laugh about this all the time. I am constantly cold. I, it's very hard for me, you know, except in the heat of the summer when I'm not real thrilled about it, but I'm always cold. And I don't want him to put his cold hands on me (laughs) because I'm already cold. But he doesn't have a problem with me putting my cold hands on him. And we go back and forth about this because he goes, well, if I were to do this to you, he wouldn't like it. I said, yes, but I know that you don't mind. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, but it's even something as simple as that. But when, but a lot of times it's even more than that. And I think that's where people get confused. And also, Leslie, you and your husband are talking about it. In that little example you just gave, you're having an exchange about it. You're, you're kind of pondering, isn't this hard? Or why are you like that? Or this isn't the same for me. But you're 
you know, you're communicating about it. And that's what's so valuable and important. And there's a whole lot of data that when we have relationships that don't have shared power, they are really um, are on a very uh, difficult course to be satisfactory to both people. So when there's shared power as opposed to power over, mm-hmm. um, it's you're on the right track. <laughs> Everybody has some input into the relationship. Right. So this is Happily Ever After. It's just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking today with psychotherapist and author Carol Lambert about handling conflict in your relationship in a productive way. And if this resonates with you, please, as we've been talking about, know it's pretty common, but it's also fixable. And if you would like to know how, I invite you to get in touch with me and schedule a free, no obligation, create your happily ever after transformation session. You can send me an email at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in Charlie.com. Or you can give me a call at area code 919-924-0463. So, Carol, in talking about this power imbalance and some of these other things that are go on, you, you may... In your article, you actually pointed out something which I found really, really interesting and more than a little bit disturbing. And because we're talking about repair, disrepair, harmony, and you talk about the possibility of harmony being used as a deception. So what does this mean? And more importantly, how does anybody know that's happening? Okay. So I'm so glad you're underscoring that. Um, because it it is extremely misleading. So the periods of harmony that routinely follow a rupture or period of conflict that hasn't been addressed is a contrived repair. When the problematic behavior, okay, so we're looking at the behavior, happens over and over. So one partner might apologize, claim that they didn't mean it, they were stressed out Mm -hmm. by work, Yet Mm -hmm. the behavior never changes. This type of apology is not authentic. Intent of the behavior is to make nice in the moment. So this seemingly positive experience can instill hope. That's where how it becomes so powerfully misleading because it does raise more hope for the relationship to change and improve. But it only serves to avoid and deny the couple's existing problems. So I have some questions one can ask oneself in terms of how to recognize harmony as a deception. So when the harmony is taking place, the question is, or the questions are, is it preceded by tension and conflict? Did the tension disappear by one partner expecting the other partner to forget and move on? Uh Are there promises that the behavior won't happen again? But it does. And this type of harmony is intended to persuade and deceive. And so ultimately, there's an avoidance of the problems in the relationship. Okay, so that's a little bit what we were talking about a while ago about just kind of paper it over. Let's just get out of this moment. Let's 
let's get back to back to normal, whatever that might be. Let's let's just let's just move on. Um, so here's the question, um, because does the deception have to be um, intentional, or is it just, I'm really uncomfortable in this moment, I want this moment to end, and I'm going to do whatever it is I need to do to get out of it, and I'll worry about the future later. Does that make any sense? Well, it could be that, but when something gets repeated in the mm-hmm. same way at the same time, it does become more intentional. It feels intentional. It's okay. orchestrating an outcome for that particular partner. So is this... Does that make sense? It does, but is this different from... Because I believe, and I don't think you're going to disagree with me when I say this, that change is really hard for most people. And so I do something that my partner tells me is, is hurtful or, or somehow we end up in an argument or something, and I'm not even maybe even really sure how we got there. But so I say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. But then I do do it again. Is that because, in, because I don't have a plan for change? Or, I mean, I suppose it could be both. But I guess I'm a little confused about... Again, how to, because to me, deception implies intent, that I am intending to deceive this right. person as opposed to, I'm just trying to be comfortable in the moment. Does that make any sense? Well, I think there is that piece, being comfortable in the moment, but I think it doesn't include the comfort of their partner. Mm, okay. If looking at it as, as from the dynamic of a couple of two people, and they also are very much at the point um, that they mislead. Well, they don't pay attention to what they're promising, what they will change, what they know mm-hmm. is a problem. And sometimes I encourage one partner to ask the partner what they're apologizing for. Are they talking about the same thing? That's a really important piece as well. But also, um, it reminds me when I used to discipline my children when they were younger. I never Uh wanted to send them off to their room for a timeout without asking them to write down what is it they believe they did was a problem or wrong, and what they could have done differently. And if they could come out with those two, with those two questions answered, even if it was within a minute or two, then mm-hmm. it was over their time out. <laughs> and, I, and I sort of think this is an important piece of what can be included in the dialogue and a couple trying to figure out a rupture. I don't know if I'm getting too far away from what you asked me, however. No, but I think, I think that's really, really helpful because I do, because there is a lot of misunderstanding and not necessarily intentional misunderstanding. I mean, one of the things I say to my clients all the time is what you say is not necessarily what the other person hears. <laughs> you know, you, and, and, right. and the same thing is I don't, I think I might know what you're upset about, but I'm guessing. Or maybe I'm thinking it's 
something more about the situation that I would be upset about, so I'm making the assumption that it would be bothering you as well without actually knowing, oh, it's this thing that I said or this thing that I did that was harmful. And so I like the idea of, I mean, I'm a big fan of specific apologies anyway, as opposed to, well, mistakes mm-hmm. were made. Like, that's, that's not an apology. <laughs> um, like, that's not. Right. Um, and, and it's also maybe not enough just to say, well, I apologize for hurting your feelings, but if I don't know what it is that I said or did that was actually harmful, then I can't change it because I don't know what it is. That's right. Right. And okay. you're not holding yourself accountable then for the behavior. You're just saying, I'm sorry your feelings got hurt, but you're not saying, right. I'm sorry I did this that right. caused your feelings to be hurt. Right. Okay. Well, that, that, that makes sense. Um, and, but again, we're going back to um, this idea of people wanting to get through the rupture Quickly, not necessarily right. effectively. And, mm-hmm. and again, people don't like, most of us, I'm going to say, don't like being in a state of tension. And so it's like if we can, to me I find it like water, finding the path of least resistance down the hill. If I can get out of this tense situation with the least amount of effort, why wouldn't I do that? But what you're saying is that that's actually the wrong way of looking at it, that we should be more welcoming of dealing with the conflict. So how can people get better at this? All right. So I so I think it's wonderful if couples can embrace their troublesome moments. Um, okay. And I actually, I do think as they get better at it, it is quicker. It can be mm-hmm. a quicker repair or fix. So first, I said, just thinking about conflict as really a disagreement. Just replace yes. the word. So yes, I so agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a difference of opinion. If you if you really think about disagreement, it's a difference of opinion. It's mm-hmm. almost like I can love you and have a different opinion, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then how to communicate to resolve the disagreements. All right, how can that be more approachable? So I like to think of these three qualities that if each partner were to really kind of take them on, it might help them to communicate from um, a place, uh, a stronger place. So one is Mm -hmm. just a simple word of respect, which if you look it up in the dictionary, which I decided to do yesterday, it's just the act of giving particular attention or consideration to another, what they're saying, what they're doing, just paying attention. Mm-hmm. Another one is showing curiosity about their partner's feelings or viewpoints. And mm-hmm. it gives them the message, it's giving them the message, I'm listening and I want to understand your point of view. You might even ask questions to clarify to be certain you're understanding their point of view. Okay. And then there's empathy, showing some understanding or sensitive sensitivity to the experience of their partner. So when a couple could prioritize their troublesome moments, maybe with intention, there's a few guidelines I could offer. So this is where prior to the conflict or the storm, they, and maybe it's during one of their harmonious times, that they 
one of them initiates talking about how they can handle those ruptures in a more productive way for both. Uh -huh. So right. this is where both partners need time to talk, to say what they each need to say. Uh -huh. That's critical. Then both partners also need time to experience listening to the other. The one being listened to needs to truly feel heard. And they need to stay focused on the issue and not bring in old problems or demean the other's point of view. Uh -huh. That doesn't have a place in this communication. And then also for them to really try to commit to a goal of reaching some type of agreement, whatever that might be. And right. I think and if they're able, go ahead. Sometimes that agreement could be just we're going to agree to disagree about this particular thing because it doesn't yeah. have an impact on us, really. That's right. And maybe in the process, them feeling they got to say what they needed to say and they felt heard and understood by the other, it becomes less important if they mm -hmm. all arrive on the same place. And so I think for the couple, the gain for the couple is that they can eventually both feel safe to be more themselves, speak to what they need or believe, and know that the other partner will listen and work with them. And this doesn't mean they will always agree, but that doesn't become the problem. Absolutely, because, because no two people, no matter how compatible they are, are going to agree about everything because they've had different experiences and they have different ways. I mean, we might look at, we might look at the world in a similar way, but not necessarily in the exact way. I mean, I just takes me back to a comment that, that my son, probably, probably about 10 years ago, maybe not quite that long ago, he said to me, Mom, I don't understand people who don't think like I do. And I said, whoa, whoa. I said, is that an observation or a judgment? And he went, it's an observation. I went, okay, we're good. <laughs> He's like, okay, we're good. Because, I mean, we can only see the world through our lens. And I love the, that you mentioned being curious about the other person. Um, mm. I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of curiosity and confusion. You know, help me understand. I'm confused or I'm curious about that. Tell me more because, one, you talk about listening. And most of the time what we do is we listen to rebut and we, and we hear just enough to, to formulate our counterattack, which is not the same thing as listening. Mm -hmm. It's not the right. same thing as exactly. listening to understand or you know, yeah. um, and, and it is really, uh, and I, and again, I, we are on the same page about, I don't like the word conflict. You can't positively spin <laughs> that word. It, it, it's yeah. just a disagreement. It's just a difference of opinion. How we handle it is how we, it ends up conflict. But, right. you know, it's, it, it's being able to take a step back and recognize that this person that I've asked to join my life with me is going to see the world differently. And that's, that's why I like this quote about it's our last best chance to grow up because it's the mm -hmm. challenge of, of being faced with differences that allows us to grow. We don't grow from a place of um, comfort and ease. Correct. Because I why would I need that. to do anything different? Yeah, um, and I think as a couple tries to attend to their troublesome moments, they should always think about maybe being a little coach for one another, 
um, feeling free to point out that, you know, I thought you were listening, but now I see you're distracted. Could you come back mm-hmm. to what I'm talking right. about? Whatever Put it might the phone be. Down. But to really <laughs> be patient <laughs> and try to hold, um, you know, help one another in this process. Absolutely, and, and I think that, that the more people do this and not wait until these things build up to the point where they're spilling over and polluting everything, but if they can do this, we talked about this earlier, if they can do this more regularly, then the repairs happen faster because because they're already somewhat skilled at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, so absolutely. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation, Carol. Can you tell people where they can learn more about this, about you, about how to learn these? Sure. Be happy to do that. Thank you. I, um, for 20-plus years, ran, um, and I still do, facilitate a group for women with controlling partners, and it's a recovery group. And in relationships where one has more power than the other, it takes the one without the power to get stronger, emotionally stronger, to be able to stand up in the relationship and then see what's possible with their partner. And um, I put that recovery group model into a book titled Women with Controlling Partners, Taking Back Your Life from a Manipulative or Abusive Partner. Um, it's self-help. And it's available on Amazon. And there's some additional information on my website um, about relationships. And the, relation, and the website is um, carol-lambert.com. And I also discuss topics like some of the topics we touched upon today um, in my blog um, for psychology today that's called Mind Game. Love it. Again, I've said this before. I will say it again. No two people, no matter how much they love each other or share commonalities, will always agree. But it is possible to disagree without it being disagreeable. There are skills that you can learn to make this more likely. So the question is, what would move you towards this? And hopefully one of those things will be to continue to listen to this show and to guests like Carol Lambert who have information, valuable information, on how to make your relationship better. So until next week, stay loving.